Welcome to Under the Skim from Luminary. This week's guest does need no introduction, and here is that no introduction. It's Matthew McConaughey, the actor, the writer of the new book Green Lights, the shimmering sex symbol that he is, the authentic, oh shucks, southern brutality combined with a kind of raw masculinity, and in this world of cookie-cut movie stars, he stands alone as a multi-dimensional... I would say, icon of deep, deep beauty and complexity, such as his character in Interstellar. We had a brilliant, brilliant conversation. But let me read some of these other things. He's in the Bias Club. He got an Oscar off it. He's in Magic Mike. Four. But did you know he's a professor of practice at the University of Texas? No. And I've just done a conversation with him. Minister of Culture for the City of Austin. No. <laughs> All I asked him in the whole podcast was, do you think I'm nice? And that took one hour for him to explain why he didn't. Let's, before we get into the Matthew McConaughey conversation, let's have a listen to these comments from the Gabriel Bernstein. Mostly uh, flattering comments because they're pre-selected and why would I include someone saying, <laughs> I do not enjoy your work? Too painful, too painful to hear. Gabriel Bernstein, as you know, she's a um, guru, teacher, wise woman. Annie78Nolan go, love these two, what a collaboration. Thank you. EITA no spirit go, wow, I love her message, I live by it. Right near it. It's okay to have respect for our teachers, but ultimately we need to grow and eventually be able to walk on our own two legs. Well, that's just two lovely comments, and I agree with you. St. Finnegan, this was pure gold. Thanks so much for this, guys. See, Brit Girl seven seven seven. I love this podcast. What a refreshing, authentic conversation. Thanks. And now a message to a loyal listener who had the good sense to send me a compliment, knowing the yes, they could say the way to a man's heart is via his stomach but the way to my heart is via the ego. So if you've got any nice compliments you want to send me, send them at, to at help at Russell Brand. No, that's not for compliments. That's if you need help. No, don't use the help channel for compliments. What do you use it? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, at- Hello at russellbrand.com. That's for compliments and anything else. But help, you know, as it stands to reason, that would be for help. Now, this is a message to Karen and her trainer who listen to this podcast while they work out in Nashville, Tennessee. Can you imagine that now? in a chain gang, in the sweltering sun, by a cornfield. Jen, why have you closed your eyes? Why have you shut down, I mean your arms? Why have you shut down your body I'm language? I'm relaxing, because you're going to go on a thing. Right, I've finished that now. <laughs> I'm now calling you to, this is a call to action for you. Jenny, are you happy in our new working environment? Yeah. environment? Yeah. Yeah? There's more people in it. It's nice, Gareth's here now. <laughs> Gareth's come here. Gareth's observing me, stop observing me. Well, he is observing. That's part of what he's doing. He's observing to Gareth and I made the truce together. If you are a fan of the truce, <laughs> look forward to me probably being in prison within the week for <laughs> saying something senseless about politics that I can't back up. So um, we'll be doing more videos on YouTube, more videos on, you know, all of those things. And also, we've, we're just doing a lot of work. We just want to make sure that you enjoy this. Also, there's some new content coming on Luminary, some very exciting things. Firstly, there's a new podcast where it's Ask Me Anything. Like and you and if you want to ask me anything, how do you do that? Ask me anything. You go to your website. Go to russellbrand.com and then what? For, go oh, to yeah, here it is. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. Go to my podcast. You can record. Go to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything. Although it looks like here, ask me anything, and that's the last thing I want. You click on the button. You got sixty seconds to ask me anything. 
And like you could ask me, for example, we've got people saying, you know, obviously it'd be good if it's either nice and kind or funny. Again, I'll probably, if someone says, why are you such an arsehole? Probably won't use that. I can't spend 10 minutes explaining that. You'd need an hour. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very complex issue. Um, so yeah, go over to russellbrand.com, ask me anything. Okay, should we do Matthew McConaughey now? Matthew's on to promote his book, Green Lights. I've been reading it. I've been listening to it. I love it. I love hearing Matthew McConaughey. He actually, lo- it made me, I'm doing some audiobooks at the moment called Amber Lights. Now, I'm doing like some uh, audiobooks. It made me realise you can just laugh in the middle of it. I even did it while I was doing the audiobook for Mark Fisher's Late Capitalism, a very complex uh, tome. Oh, well, it's actually quite a short book, but it's on the sort of the interrelationships between mental health, capitalism, social breakdown and capitalism and our inability to envisage a society that ain't built within the framework of capitalism. And I did a few laughs during that because I'd just been listening to Matthew McConaughey so I'd go, do you think that the state is going to able, be able to tackle the power of tech giants? <laughs> don't make me laugh. Russell, it doesn't say don't make me laugh. I know, but I had laughed, so I thought that I needed to illustrate it. So anyway, that's another project coming up, late capitalism. But let's not muck about. Let's think about Matthew McConaughey. Let's imagine him in a chair. Because you've probably seen him. He's been doing a lot of podcasts lately. I saw him on Rogan. He, I think he did table talks with uh, Whip Me Here back and forth with the brilliant Willow Smith, who does, who's done a good record with Janavi, who we love, who's been on this podcast doing proper good gear spiritual stuff. Have a look at that as well. Anyway, have the image of Matthew McConaughey with his headphones on. He's got his top on, but you can imagine under his top, rippling abs can't you? And like, this is a wonderful conversation, isn't it? From a very intelligent and brilliant man. All right, Jen, do you think that's a good intro? Yeah, it's good. Let's enjoy the conversation with Matthew McConaughey now. Real connection. I think we're going to cut out the bit where my wife came out, aren't we? Because, Are we? Yeah, she don't want that. Oh, okay. Says it makes her look silly. So, like, you can imagine a bit where my wife comes out to meet Matthew McConaughey, like everyone's wife. They just talk husband. about dinner. I know, but she says she don't want it in there. Oh. And like, what do you do? Keep it in there. <laughs> Keep it in the old brain box. All right, then here is the great Matthew McConaughey on Under the Skin from Luminary. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Matthew McConaughey, thank you so much for coming on Under the Skin. My pleasure, Mr. Russell Brand. As I say, I feel like we've either done this before, even though if I look at my calendar, we have not. But maybe we have. When I saw your face, handsome as you are, it was like staring into infinite fractals. The universe unfolded before me again and again, as I knew it would, as I knew it would. We're fans of you in our family. We, I love you as an actor. I now love you as a writer. I think you're a fantastic personality. And I, and your life, you know, as I've witnessed it, simply uh, through the prism of entertainment, makes a lot more sense. Having red green lights, you've obviously given. Uh, you sort of a person that obviously says yes to life. Was that inherent within you, or do you think that's because of your sort of rather well? To me, at least, it seems unique. Um, perhaps that's how a lot of people grow up in the south. But do you think how much of your attitude do you attribute to this rather unique childhood you had? I think I, I got to give a lot of credit to the childhood. I mean, that's one, you know, you say that you said the word say yes to life. That's like my mother's favorite word in life. And she's 88, still saying yes. The kind of woman that's, you know, beat two types of cancer on, on aspirin because 
she just actually said, yes, I don't have it. <laughs> you know, um, so as she ingrained that in us early on, it was a, our perspective. Uh, what how, I call her in the book, the queen of relativity, uh, meaning, you know, you get out of bed in the morning. If you were a little grumpy or sleepy, it was get your ass back in bed. Don't come in here till you see the rose in the vase instead of the dust on the table. Whoa. You know, it was a great, but, but I don't have, I, I need a new pair of shoes. My shoes are out of style. I only have one pair of shoes. I'll quit griping about your damn shoes. I'm going to show you the boy with no feet. Whoa. It, so she penetrated into us. You better be damn happy that the sun rose this morning because that was not a guarantee. And who the hell do you think you are to think that was guaranteed? So our baseline of being happy to greet the day, to engage, uh, to choose to compare before contrasting, to say, yes, I'm going to try that out. We have a pretty healthy threshold that was ingrained into us early on to say, go, go, go find out. Like, for instance, yes, couldn't watch TV in my house. Why? Because mom said, don't watch somebody do something you can go do for yourself. Get your butt outside. So it was like, go do it or yeah. go find out on your own. They sound like re um, like uh, beautiful, but undoubtedly intense characters, your parents. And I felt when reading your book that other people may have framed that childhood differently but due to some of the extreme things that you explicitly describe. I watched you on Rogan, so I know that that's your emails continually arriving. And I, gonna, I also know... I'm going to get rid that, of them right now. <laughs> well, you didn't manage it on Rogan. I, I, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting rid of them right now. Uh, look at that. I'm going to force quit that baby. Boom. All right. Now we're back. Thank you, Rogan. We learned that from your podcast. <laughs> if nothing else, you've become technically more adept. Yeah. Like So like there's like, I suppose what I'm saying is, is uh, obviously you, you adore and look up to and, you know, somewhat even worship your parents. Have you ever felt differently about those relationships? Do you feel like it's almost um, unethical to talk about them in a critical way? No, I don't think it's unethical, but it, it, no, I haven't. I mean, even when I had an estranged relationship from my mother for eight years after I got famous, when she wanted more of my fame than I did, and she was loose lips in my life when I needed to try and you know navigate my own ship on my own, and I felt like her in my life was making it more wobbly. But even then... I knew there would be a day that, you know, I never quit loving her. Uh, I never, she was never an unconditional love that we had. That's my mother. And I'll uh, one day be able to forgive her and we'll move on from this, which we have. But no, it, it you know, look, there are many stories that I, I, I put in the book that, uh, you know, I went on Stern. He kept saying, you were abused. I was like, no, I wasn't. He was like, yes, you were. I was like, no, I wasn't. You can't tell me I was if I, if I know I wasn't. You know, he's like, you got to get therapy. I was like, no, I don't. He's like, yes, you do. I was like, no, I don't. I do it. I tell those stories. I've always told stories when I talk about the love stories in my family. I tell the ones that I told in the book that have some violence in them, that blood can be drawn. And I've been asked, well, well wait a minute. Why do you tell those? Because there were 99% of the time was much more kumbaya. It was mm -hmm. hugs and kisses and healing. I tell the ones that look like things were, there was some hurt going on because for me, that's where the love was tested the most. And it looked like, oh shit, it might all break down here. It's going to end here. This is not going to, this is going to end in injury or end in divorce, but it never did. It never was intended to, and, and never had a chance of being that way. Um, so 
that's one of the challenges with writing, and you know this with writing. You can perform. You and I can perform the story, and I can tell you about my mom and dad getting in this fight, and there's a knife, and there's ketchup, and you can see me, and you already see me light up, and you see the love in my eyes, right? But to put it on the page, if you just go by the facts, it's like call CPS, call the cops, get 911 here, put McConaughey in therapy, let's arrest his family right now. It sounds like a horror story. So, you, so how to find it? I was about my hope is that you see the humanity come out, which I think you did by your comments, come out of those stories with how I solved them. Um, that's just how they, my mom and dad, like I said, they 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 lived life like they wanted to be in a storm in the Pacific Ocean. I suppose what's evident from watching you as a, an actor, and I love you as an actor, as I've already said, mate, is that you uh, you are an authentic person and i suppose that authenticity comes from dealing with not necessarily dealing with because that's not how you see it but experiencing a life that i would say um is whether or not it's common statistically is not is sort of irrelevant but i imagine having spent some time in hollywood and around that kind of world i sense that your the sort of breadth of experience you have the sort of carnality uh, and libido and rawness in your life is not typical or common in those environments how did you find the transition from uh, like this sort of southern life of rawness and vitality into the somewhat more conformist and uh, in sort of i don't know you know what i'm saying well even you-, you know the 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 mendacities of affluence in hollywood Oh, I love you. I love you. Whoa, wait a minute. I've said that four times in my life to four people and you guys are throwing it around. Um, The yeses, the the champagne, the caviar, the backstage passes, the this, the oh, you're the you're the greatest this, that and the other. You got it. It was hard to to, to cipher through all the bullshit and and, and what was what was real. And I and I, I, you know, one of the lessons I learned it took on the year seven of being in Hollywood is get the joke. It ain't personal. It's business. And as soon as I got that, I was like, oh, then if somebody, you know, when then I then I inherently wasn't pissed off anymore at the studio head who wouldn't who who used to call me all the time. And I hung out with when I was hot and now my movies dipped a little bit and he won't return my phone call. Then I was like, oh, OK, it's business. I'm not, I'm not taking it that personally. But in the beginning, I had some awkward you know, I, I I would try to prove a point sometimes instead of having a point to prove, and I found that that's not always the best thing. That <laughs> can be like if you're if it's okay to have a point to prove, but don't always be trying to prove a point. And so when I'd see somebody and I think they were full of shit or something or bullshitting or like or exaggerating the affluence or something, I would call them on it. I'd almost I'd corner people and Brad try to bring them down to a baseline. They go like, cut it out. You're you're just you you're just you're speaking a bunch of BS. Quit exaggerating, trying to exaggerate even my own happiness or your own existence. You, you, you're not a, you're not a. So all of a sudden, that led to times where I've missed my own. I've got friends who tell me I had two birthday parties that I missed. I was there, but I had cornered someone who was on the outskirts who had come in trying to act like, oh yeah, hey, and I was like, what? Just cornered him. And five hours later, everyone's gone home from my birthday party, and I've still got this person in the corner trying to get them to base out and level and just be authentic and quit acting and start being. Quit acting like something they weren't. 
So initially, you'd be quite confrontational, and I can see why you would be. You bought that, uh, like the, the attitude of your indigenous environment with you into a world somewhat defined by artifice. But eventually, you dropped that. You dropped that kind of confrontational. Why? How come? Well, you, I think again, you get that. If I get the joke that it ain't personal; it's all business. I apply that on a scale and go, "Hey, take it easy." Have a little more grace. Look at, you know, I've said this many times. I said, look, yeah, you were right, McConaughey, but your timing sucked. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I was like, you learn the grace of going, yeah, you may be right, but that's not the zone. That's not the place. It's not the fight to pick. It's not the confrontation to choose because look what happened. Yeah. Hey, you came away from the argument. You won. You proved a point. And you missed your fucking birthday. And all your friends who you, who you really do love and love to hang out with partied on their own and went home while you still sat over here to prove a point. So I had my awkward times, but you learn to, you know, get a little graceful and let and that and just sort of take off the right angles a little bit and sort of just dance by things a little bit more compassion, a little let somebody go, oh, a little context. I mean, I, I don't need to go, you know, try and help this person out or, or, or prove my point here or save this situation. Let, let, let it happen. I'm going to go be maybe, maybe a little more selfish uh, and saying, no, I'm, I'm going to, I've, I've built some things. I'm here for, I'm at this certain place for a reason. I'm going to enjoy this and not take it personally. If uh, uh, what, if the rest of the world has its mendacities and is full of BS in places. I've been having trouble trying to reconcile the idea of having a kind of uh sense of self a kind of this is who i am and therefore i can withstand going in a stimulating and distracting environments for me with my background with addiction even when i was substance free going into an environment where there was a lot of praise approval excitement uh, availability of sexual partners all of that i found it quite bewildering and i think i lost myself a little in that world do you feel that you had similar challenges i mean i had challenges i i got the hell out of dodge though quite a few times at the right time i mean yeah too many options will make a tyrant of any of us (laughs) you know what i mean and that's what a lot that comes with the hollywood life it's an affluent life that says yes you want that? Yes. Yes. Well, the devil's in the yes is not the no's, you know? So I needed to, when you have no resistance and you, you, then you have no structure shit. It's anarchy, man. It's like, well, wait a minute. I'm running in circles. It's a revolution, not an evolution. And you can look up one day and go, wow, a year passed. <laughs> There's really been no ascension in who I am or my life. This has been fun. I gave myself the freedom to have a couple of years like that. I had a couple of years where I said, I'm buying the leather pants. I'm buying the motorcycle. I'm heading to the Chateau. Let's rock and roll. And, and you're my, my rule is you got none McConaughey. You can just say yes, but I knew it was a stop, not a stay. Um, and it was a stop, not a stay. And I got out of there healthy and the relationships were healthy, et cetera. But I had times where I could feel myself, my feet weren't on the ground. I had times where my head and my heart were not, communicating there was not an auto bond between the two of them there was a 
cranky little one 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 lane dirt road with potholes you know what i mean <laughs> and the communication was digitizing before it, it between my heart and head and i had my spider sense said get out of here go solitude put on a backpack go to peru go to africa go to a monastery go get stuck with yourself and go through the pain and humiliation of being stuck with yourself when your thoughts aren't aren't clear and don't pull the parachute meaning don't go to the bottle. Don't go to the phone. Don't go to the TV. Don't call the friend. No, sit in it. Break a freaking sweat. I don't care if we draw blood. Put your mouth guard on your helmet. Let's have it out. Me and me, man. The one son of a bitch I can't get rid of. Let's go, McConaughey, you son of a bitch. And it usually takes about 12 days. And about 12th day is when I, it's happened a few times, is when I sort of have the, a purge, almost a Montezuma's revenge and uh, uh of shedding guilt and 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 saying again what am i going to forgive what am i going to say the buck stops here no fucking more and then i come on all of a sudden then all of a sudden i'm present i'm light as a feather i'm enjoying and seeing and enjoying what's right in front of me and i've shaken hands with myself and gone learn that thing that we all learn which is well you're the one son of a bitch i can't get rid of so we might as well figure out how to get along <laughs> That you're describing is like a religious impulse and almost like a religious practice to go and deal with solitude, a sort of self-imposed monasticism. How did you how did you know to do that? I've had to like myself, I've had to be instructed so slowly in like, right, you can't do that. You can't do this, that you're not allowed. You know, like it would never have occurred to me organically. Perhaps I don't have the inner resources or the intuition. I don't know. How did you know I need to take myself off and deal with solitude? Where did that come from? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the feeling is when what you're putting out, there's a gap between what you're putting out and what's coming back. And that gap starts to widen. And you're like, wait a minute, my reverb in my relationship with the world is out of tune. It, uh, the same tune's not coming back to me that I'm putting out. And that's when, when we're on frequency, we put out a tune and, and the next lick comes right back and the song just plays and life's a song and we dance and our, everything that we, we, we have a relationship with continues the same song. Um, we are catching the proverbial green light. Um, <laughs> So, but I think I learned the value of the monastic getaway, the Fugamundi walkabout. Where you, in that year in Australia, which I had when I was an exchange student right out of high school. And that was a year that I, I was coming out of high school. And in my family, as you read, it's a very disciplined family. But the day you turned 18 years old in my family, it was freedom. I remember my mom and dad saying, hey, if you ain't learned it yet, you're not going to learn it. So you have no curfew, whatever. Now I come out of high school, I'm 18. I've got straight A's, so mom and dad are happy at school. I got a job with 45 bucks in my pocket. I got, I'm dating the best looking girl at my school and across town. I got a car that's paid for. I got a four handicap in golf. I've just made two holes in ones and I got no curfew. Green lights, baby. So I decided I'm gonna go to Australia for a year as an exchange to, because it sounds like a wild idea, adventure. Well, I go over there and live in this home with a very odd family. Uh, and I was going through my own identity uh, checkout and we were living in the middle of nowhere. So all of a sudden I got none of those girlfriends, got no car, got no job, uh, got no golf clubs. Uh, and I have a curfew now again. So I was forced 
when I was going through some very odd circumstances, trying to figure out what, what the hell was going on in life with myself and the world around me, I didn't have anybody or any of those things to go to, to entertain me. I didn't have any friends or mom and dad to say, hey, does this make sense? Is this okay? <laughs> I had to ask myself. So I had to put the pen to paper. I had to have to start the Socratic dialogue. And I was stuck in confusion asking that, you know, those questions that we do, the original one that we ask much more even when we're younger, why? 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 And that can be a really tough question to keep asking if you don't have a fucking answer. And I didn't have any answers. So I had a year of that. And I had a hunch while I was going through it. I was writing 14 page letters in very tiny writing with nine, pay, nine line run on sentences with way too many adjectives and adverbs, you know? <laughs> Guess who I was writing them to? Me. <laughs> and then I would return them. <laughs> I was losing it. I was, it was great. I'd started these like disciplines to, to sort of measurements, demarcations in a day so I could just feel some viscosity that I, that, that I had sanity because I did something. I was running six miles a day. I decided I'm celibate because I'm maybe I think I'm going to become a monk. I need to head over to South Africa and help free Mandela. And, 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 and I'm vegetarian, but I don't know how to do it. So I'm eating a freaking head of iceberg lettuce with ketchup on it every night. Uh, I, I, I'm finding myself, you know, uh, heading back to the, the bathroom at, at, at my own, to go take a bath at 5.30 p.m. after dinner while it's still light outside to go work one out, read Lord Byron, listen to Rattle and Hump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and write myself every night. Um, so while I'm losing it there, I had a hunch that if you stick to this, if you, you I'm going to out-endure this situation. I'm going to beat this situation by out-enduring it. So I was knew I was in sort of a self-penance, but I did out-endure it. I stayed the year. I came back. That, that I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you with the life I had if I didn't have that year. That's the year that I learned the value of. I also came back and that year helped me when I would run into being a rut or something. I'd be like, oh, you don't know, Makai, you're good. You, after what you went through in Australia, you're fine. You can handle this. Or learn the value of going, nah, we don't need to go somewhere for a year, but let's pop out of here for 22 days on a backpack and have a little, have a little walk about with ourselves. Or let's go take a week at the monastery. Or, you know, let's take two days on this weekend. So, so I've learned to check in. Probably I learned it from that year, the value that I got from that year of having to check in. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like I um, feel like many of the psychological problems people encounter in our modern world are as a result of the inability to follow this kind of religious impulse. Um, W.B. Yeats, the Irish poet, said, all artists create their own religion you know and I feel like that a lot of us don't have these you know you talk a lot about initiation in your early life you obviously had sort of strong male and strong female role models around you you had clear parameters around you and then you had this sort of what you describe as a sort of a wilderness period of kind of overcoming this overcoming the self now I suppose people that are aware of you from the public eye you are very well at least you seem to the observer very well defined person with a very clear sense of your own identity and ego but what you're describing there sounds like a sort of transcendent experience a religious experience and a sort of a willingness to look beyond relationships with other people 
primal desires as the way you define yourself. What do you think about this lack of sort of uh, uh, religious ritual and religious uh, institution in a meaningful way in a lot of people's lives? I I, I think we definitely need it. Look, we don't, at least for the practicality of ritual, uh, we don't have much. What is what is ritual now? Go binge watch something on Netflix. I don't know. What's you know, especially in America, what's our ritual? Um, and and then we also, amongst not having rituals, we you know don't like to talk about death. It's like oh no no, knock knock on wood. You're like, what are you doing? We're all gonna we're all gonna die. Let's just throw this on the table. It's the one meal that should be on the table that we should all at least be aware of and admit is gonna happen. And it's a very healthy thing to think about. And in considering that, which is a reality, I think helps create the long view, which then leads to what I believe is inherently great about religion. Now, I just say this: you know the Latin root of religion, the word. Yeah, you know, it's legare and re legare means to bind together and re means again well we've obviously in many ways man has bastardized religion and when it's been corporatized and excluded many along the way but origin of religion is beautiful and it's what everybody's talking about that just says no i'm not religious i'm just spiritual well no actually you are very religious to the prescriptive sense of the word you want to bind together again well that can also mean on a walkabout with ourselves to bind together again with ourselves so when i go away on that solitudinal walkabouts that's what i'm doing i'm trying to reconnect when i talk about the head and the heart having an autobahn between them i'm trying to clean up that pull the weeds here man (laughs) Let's 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 let let's get it. Let's get a uh, clear understanding of, of who we are, who we're not or and dwell in the I don't know for a little while until we come out of it with some some understanding and security going, well, I do know this. And you know what? If I get in a pinch, I'm going to rely on this and that can help get me out of a pinch um, and uh, also eliminating. It's hard as hell to know who we are, what we want to do. It's a little bit easier to go. Well, let me get rid of the shit I'm not mm-hmm. and who I'm not and what does not feed me in the long run. And I think the overriding thing is that it's it's a long view. Somewhere, I mean, I, I think I've understood that. I'm not looking forward to dying, but I'm not really like, oh, don't talk about death. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm not really afraid of that, that day coming uh, when it does. Um, it's quite exciting. Um, hopefully, have some time to be i mean i hope i go as far to the food chain and not just a random drive-by um which would just seem like it was maybe written <laughs> you know what i mean you know something i hope i hope there's some context to it and i hope i'm if i am on the death that i hope it, I, that i can have a look back and have a bit of a smile i hear that um matthew the um the word yoga, similarly, even though it obviously has an entirely different origin, being sort of Hindi, I guess, in origins. Also, the word yoga means bind together, like sort of comparable to yoke. And this idea of sort of unity and oneness and togetherness, I think uh, 
blends quite nicely with a, a Zazen, a Buddhist idea I heard about the unborn. You know, when you were saying about shedding different aspects of the identity, the concept of the unborn, as I understand it, is that, that, that there is a, a limitless super state of potentialities a la quantum physics, the unrealized lives, the life we might have lived had we not had this father or that mother or that kind of appraisal. All of these potentialities live within us and, and, and the sort of the, the ongoing neuroplasticity, the possibility of re- Reforming and rebuilding the self, you know, like when well, it seems as soon as there's scientific language for these things, then people become more open to it, and that's why I think Interstellar is such a magnificent film and does such a good job of blending mythic, religious ideas with sort of scientific ideas and time and space and those other unknowable realms. But I feel that um, we have lost our connection with what we have, how we evolved to be, the kind of groups we evolved to live in, the kind of food we evolved to eat, the way we evolved to worship, and we have uh, everything has become secularized and corporatized when you said that thing about you know what are our rituals you know the the super bowl or the world cup you know everything is mediated but through corporatism and commerce there's very little in the way of the natural corporeal connection to god I think that um, this is a challenge. And I know I heard like when you were on Rogan, you were talking about this uh, value system that interests you. And it sounded somewhat like you were getting involved in, if not politics, certainly ethics. What's that all about, Matthew? Well, I'd, say, I'd say I'm definitely interested in ethics. I'm not interested in really politics until, it, uh, until I understand the purpose of politics. I think politics needs to, right now, is going through a big look in the mirror of what the hell is politics. What are we? What's the purpose of politics? What does it mean to be a politician? We're at a time, as you said, right? We don't do, we don't trust leaders, but we don't trust how they became leaders. We don't have a consensus. We don't have any of that. So it's a broken business. Um, ethics, yes. Um, and but values. I want to find the common denominator because I'm not into this homogenization of saying, oh, we're all the same. No, we're not. We all have different innate abilities and we're born into different circumstances and we have different work ethics and we have different amounts of hustle and resilience. And if, you know, no matter how hard I wanted to be an NBA basketball player, if that's so, guess what? I wasn't going to be one. I just, my body makeup, five, 11, three quarters, wasn't quick enough, wasn't going to be one. So I could work my butt off as hard as I wanted. So no, we are all different, but what is the common denominators and what are the glue that combined our social contracts again that are not political and are not dominational, denominational? My hunch is that it's values. My hunch is that you and I can sit on a different side of our political aisle right now and still go, look, okay, we got a handshake and look at each other and I, can we have, can we expect from each other that we're not going to cheat the other out? Can I expect that responsibility from you and this responsibility from me and that, you know, and, and that if, you know, if you say, well, we'll, we'll you know, you're going to borrow this and bring it back, you, you're going to, I don't need to check up on you, right? You'll, you'll bring it back, right? I just find it back in my tool shit, right? Can we just, can we, so I don't have to stress about that. It's just some basic, basic things. Um, where I think it leads to, um, one is to, it could help build some trust again, even sense of humor. Talk about this a bit. Let's make sense. You know, if we don't know how to react, let's make sense of humor our default emotion. A hell of a lot more of us will get along. And then people go, "Yeah, but when you laugh, it denies the crisis." No, it doesn't. It actually unties the knot in the contradiction of the crisis and allows us to go, "Oh, it's a paradox." <laughs> I'm laughing. We still got work to do to fix the problem, but like we can laugh our way through that. 
you know, or the laughter can open us up to communicate that. Um, so I would call even laughter and sense of humor a value. Um, it's a, a sense of fairness. Uh, uh, what I think this all can lead to is the honey hole, the actual the sugar shack of, of, uh, of approach is where is what's best for me, best for we? Where is what's the most selfish choice, the most selfless choice? Where is what I want actually what I need? Where is what I need actually what I want? Where do I look as good as I feel and feel as good as I look? Where do we understand the freedom in responsibility and the responsibility of freedom? All these things that we go, oh, these are contradictions. No, they do this. No, they don't. Where do those two dance? That's the spot. That's where the coolest dudes and the coolest prophets that walked around, that's where they were tuned into. That frequency, if we start to understand, back to long money. People go, when I talk about what's, what's, what's selfish, and my pastor says, look, you're pushing a big rock up a steep hill with this selfish talk. I said, I'm sticking to it, all right? But if I lie, cheat, and steal, all right, today, bam, got mine. That's a selfish act, right? I got mine. Hedonistic selfish. I wanted it. I got it. It's mine. But as I go forward in life from this point, now everywhere I go, I got to look over my shoulder to see if Russell's there because I stole his thing. And I, I got to look over my shoulder because I cheated on this thing and I lied about that thing. And all of a sudden, by that act that I called, that I called selfish early, I'm purchasing, stealing time from my future because I'm not present. Because I'm looking around going, oh, geez, I owe him. I've left crumbs in my past. I've left crumbs wow. in the world and I got to look out. So what's really the more selfish act? I would say the more selfish act is to act in a way today that tees up freedom and grace for us tomorrow. That's the solar powered green lights. The ones that that's when you go. Now I'm walking forward. I ain't got to look over my shoulder. Sure, I hadn't done everything perfect, but I'm not I'm not thinking someone's going to stab me in the back or I'm going to run into so-and-so who I lied, cheated and stole from. Because when I'm doing that, I'm stealing my time from my future. So I really created a yellow light or at least a yellow light in my future. So what was actually the more selfish act? I would say it's much more selfish to act in a way today that you're kind to your future self for longer, which is that long view we were talking about, which is maybe that has to do with religion in the vein that it does with ethics and values. Wow, that's really well put. I suppose because, um, yeah, individualism assumes a kind of stasis. This is who I am. This is what I want. This is the way I'm going to get it. And I think the denial of mysticism leads us to that point. If all that, if all we can see and all we can measure is all that matters, it kind of forecloses on this space between us. It forecloses on the fact that we ourselves are an ongoing process, continually changing. And that, like you said, that we have a, a relationship to consider with our future selves. I heard that, uh, you know, enlightenment is contingent on being able to hold two apparently contradictory ideas simultaneously. To And as you put it, to be able to live in the dance of that apparent paradox. That seems important. You mentioned, Matthew, during that, your pastor. What kind of uh, spiritual or religious community do you have? And how do you, how, how do they, how do you deal with them? How do they deal with you? Is that part of the thing that grounds you and means you don't identify overly with your, you know, the external world of being a famous person 
sure helps. Um, you know, look, I was raised Methodist. Methodist is pretty easy. We, we say thank you a lot for, <laughs> for everything. It's pretty good, though. It's really, it's where I learned the value of gratitude, which I, have, I think there's a lot of incredible value in that and do believe that the more that we're thankful for, the more we will actually create in our life to be thankful for. Um, but that was really what I got from the method. It's New Testament. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Be thankful for what you got. Um, I then went through uh, and have dabbled with my agnostic years. And they weren't so much about trying to disprove or the non-belief in a divine being or a God. They were more about, I needed to double down on some self-determination because I was letting my ass slide too much. And I was tired of going, oh, you did it again. Well, I forgive you. Oh, you did it again. Well, I forgive you. I was like, cut it out, dude. You're, you're, you're taking the, you're playing the fate card, you know? Oh, well, it's all written. I'll be, I'll be forgiven. You're, you're, you're a repeat offender. And I was getting sick of the repeat offenses. So I was like, no, I'm agnostic because I've got to, I'm not going to put it on anybody else but me. And if I screw up, it's on me. And if I make it happen and I get what I want, it's on me. I think there was great value in that. I really had many times there where I think I saw, I saw God going, there you go. Way to put your damn hands on the wheel, son. Yes. Remember. You have to fire your hands on the wheel. And, and to those that sometimes in my own thought would say, well, that's egotistical or arrogant. Well, okay, then great. It, it, but if for those that go, well, no, it's all fate. Okay, take your hands off the wheel. Go run all the red lights, see what happens. You know what I mean? So coming through, I'm now a pastor at Riverbend Church. In, 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 I'm a member at Riverbend Church in Austin, Texas. My pastor is Dr. Dave Haney. What I love about him is he puts the blackboard to the Bible. We talked about science earlier with the mysticism. I love some science behind the stuff. I said earlier that I really not sure what to do with the burning bush. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I, I do know what to do with love thy neighbor as thyself. I do know what to do with the golden rule. I do know what to do um, with the practical sides of the Bible that I can go, oh, I can take that and apply that in my week. I can leave here Sunday charged for saying, hey, can I go apply that this week? Um, how to think, not just what do we think, but how do we think? That was his last last series that he's been on, is, is especially in these times of what the hell do we think? He's got a whole month series. It starts off with, well, before we talk about what do we think, let's talk about how we think. And then the next three were, what do we think about? What's pure? What's true? Things like that. So each week went through, started off with how to think, but went through with what to think. So he's putting a blackboard, practical, giving me tools that are from the Bible to go out and try and put into practice and test them out and see if I can get that like response I was talking about. See if you can put that out and see if the reverb comes back in tune and the song keeps getting played. Um, it is a, it's open, uh, uh, it, it's, it's open to, the church is open to different denominations and all my travels around the world, um, I in no way, can go, can, can purchase that one group's right. And if you don't believe this, then the rest of them are going hell. I'm not, I'm just not going to purchase that. Uh, I, I've spent too many time with, with, with many Muslims that I highly respect and, and Africa, uh, Hindu, I've, I've spent time with too many that I'm like, no, there's a beauty. And actually, we're actually talking about closer to the same thing that everyone's putting on. You know, my, my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 6, 22. If thy eye be single, 
the third eye, thy whole body will be full of light. And that's and it shows up in the Quran. It shows up in many different in different worded slightly differently, but it's basically the Hindu third eye as well. And it's saying all those things we were talking about earlier, though you talk about enlightenment, those things we see as contradictions. It's saying that where they are, they're not heaven, hell, future, culture, all those things we're talking about are not contradictions. They're actually where they overlap, that third eye. That's not the gray area of compromise, which we like to call it. It's actually the white light where all the colors of the truth are revealed. And that's the third eye. Um, That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, that's, you know, I would call myself an optimistic mystic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound like one. Mate, how about like with um, with the degree of sophistication that you have acquired over time with your uh, religious inquiry, you know, looking for perennial themes in Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, looking for interpretations in scripture that could easily be applied in Eastern mysticism. How do you frame what I am somewhat prejudicially assuming, and you correct me if I'm wrong, would have been a more literal and rudimentary interpretation of the Bible in your early life? Or am I wrong in that interpretation? I mean, look, the a lot of the value early on, and mind you, we were church on Sunday and we were with the youth and we said our prayers before all meals. Thank you, God. But, I mean, a lot of that was, there are many sermons I wasn't listening to, but the ritual of it doesn't matter what you did Saturday night or how late you were up, we're up at 7 a.m. going to church, and you're going to sit down and be quiet because you, at the most, are number two in this room. You know what I mean? So you're going to sit here and you're going to listen. And sometimes the sermons were boring and I'm not listening. But the ritual of, no, that's a time where you go and you're quiet and you sit and you listen to someone talk about a good word. Um, And again, a lot of the Methodist sermons were about what to be thankful for in our lives, what to appreciate, what to not take for granted. Um, It wasn't, I was, I did, wasn't really, you know, there were some, I'm sure some, some Baptist churches around me that were much more Old Testament, constitutional, this is how it is, you, mm-hmm. you know, you better or else you're going to burn. You know, and I have, and I think there's great value in fear. I think I know there's great value in fear. I've said this through my, through my upbringing. There are many things I shouldn't have done that I did not do for fear of the asphalt that I would have got if I got caught. You know, there are many things I'm like, no, risk reward. You guys go ahead and do that, man. I ain't doing that. My dad finds out I'm getting my butt whooped. Forget it. And I'm glad and I shouldn't have done them and glad I did not. Um, And a fear of in a fear of God. Now, we do, you know, as I I consider myself a prescriptionist when I talk about like words or Latin roots of religion or humility. We all talk about we need to be humble and have more humility, but nobody wants to be humiliated. It's like, so, you know, uh, uh, a friend of ours, I guess he's, I don't know if he's a friend of yours or at least an acquaintance, but someone who we're obviously interested in, uh, Jordan Peterson. A great, my favorite quote on humility. It's, a, it's knowing you have more to learn. Now I hear that and I go, 
thank you. Now I'm not, now the, all the other definitions of humility, I was always like lost confidence or I lowered my head and uh, false modesty. No, it's okay. And, 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 and re regressed. And then I hear that definition. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. My head's high. My heart's high. I'm still moving forward confidently. I still have an identity. I still have an ego. I still have judgment. I still have discernment. Mm. But oh yeah, I can easily go. I have a whole lot more to learn. Now those two, there went the contradiction. There it went. It just went to a paradox for me. So those times where, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're, you get so self-involved and I'm thinking, you know, we think the world's revolving around us and we have an original truth or an original problem. And we end up outside at night and you look up and you're like, oh, oh, none of this really matters. Uh -huh. Well, those times when I go to the Google eye in the sky or God's eye and look at the earth and go, oh, you're this little dot on this spinning globe and look at it, it's spinning and it can, you're like a little grain of sand and there's just millions of you, billions of you. And Oh, that's been going on for thousands of years. And that's going to go on for thousands. That place where I go, oh, it none of it matters. In that humility is when I realize, oh, that's why it all matters. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's go. You know, you got one take. Action was called when you were born. Cut will be called one time when you die. Let's go. No audition. <laughs> Work it out. So... That's that I didn't only recently, probably in the last eight years, 10 years of my life, have I sort of to feel that the truth of that time when I feel the most humble and the 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 most, oh, you know what? It's you're you're not even number two. Maybe you're number 242. You know what I mean? Whatever. Um, where I felt the most humble and like what I did mattered the least mattered less is when I realized at the same time, no. It all, Matt, it all has significance. Not every little thing is significant on its own, but altogether, it all has major significance. So you damn right, it all matters. I like that humility can potentially provide a way to subvert or overcome the holding pattern of the ego, which can be a bit static and intransigent. If you'd like, I'm this, I believe this, I don't like this, these are my preferences. Through humility, particularly accompanied with meditation and prayer, access to different types of information. Matthew, when you talk about this, um, like this harmonics, recognizing that what you're putting out as a frequency and an energy, is it working? Is it being reciprocated? Is it coming back to you? Uh, how do you, as you uh, put more reliance on the religious aspect of your being stop short of becoming kind of superstitious a lot of people that i talk to that prioritize the inner life inner connection above uh, you know external validation etc etc like you know and i took it actually i'm speaking personally me i can get like i'd spend a lot of time meditating a lot of time praying thinking about God thinking about it both from a perspective, you know, but from a pragmatic perspective, i.e. the limitlessness of the universe as we even understand it scientifically suggests, you know, like leads you to kind of humility. Um, and also that these practices sort of seem to open up new space in me and I have new experiences. What I don't want to become is like a, a wacko or a sort of superstitious person always looking for signs and spotting signs where there ain't none and all that kind of stuff. How, how, what, how, what's your, how do you deal with that in a section? Two, 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 two ways, I think. Um, one is if I see a situation that I think 
I'm not going to get that reciprocity tune, harmonic tune back. I kind of, a lot of times, kind of get off to the challenge of, ooh, I'm going to see if I can go get them in tune. <laughs> or if they're playing another tune, then I go, well, it's another tune. It's not my tune, but it's in the black. It's an asset. It's not a debit. It's not tyrannical. It's not evil. Well, let me see if I can go slip into their tune and become a, a member of the band and play it and become a different tune. Um, so when I see when I see something that looks like, oh, it's going to be different than my tune, part of the harmonics is, well, I'm going to pick up another instrument and, lay it and, and sit in on this session and see if we can keep the music going without having to yell cut. Getting rid of that right angle. Let me merge. Let me, you know, that's why I say just keep living. There's no G on the end of living because life's a verb. Keep it a verb. Keep it a verb. No proper nouns. Proper, proper nouns are that ego you're talking about. Capital P, proper noun, period. Didactic, this is it. That's it. And those are those can be, I found that those can be great. That when the ego, part of going back on the book, I was like, ah, I'm going to see times where I was an egotistical, little arrogant prick. And I went back and I saw those times where I was like, oh, you were a little know-it-all. Even the writing of this book, I had one week session where I said, I said this is going to be my ego session. I'm going to write like Superman, like I am the G-O-D. And I look back at the writings after that week. And I was like, oh, good gosh, man. <laughs> you know, at the same time, the value of that I noticed was that ego, that, oh, I know. That didacticism can actually give you the, the confidence, whether it's false or true, to put your ass in the ring to where you go, oh, shit, I didn't know. <laughs> well, oh, I wouldn't have maybe had the courage to jump in like, ah, oh, watch this, if I wouldn't have been the arrogant prick. Yeah. Where maybe if I wasn't that, if I didn't let my ego run wild, I would have sat back on the sidelines and watched. You know what I mean? To, not, to where I got, put, I put myself in the proverbial game. My ego gave me the confidence to put myself in the game to then step in shit and fall on my face and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> you thought you knew, you didn't know. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you, ego. Because I wouldn't, maybe wouldn't have wouldn't jumped, in, jumped in here and found out. Um, so that's, that's a couple of ways, man, with, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with harmonics. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And also, I, I was feeling that, you know, that, by fully embodying who you are, by giving yourself permission to be you, not apologetically going through life. A lot of the time, you know, when I feel sort of slighted by people, I sometimes feel it's because I was pretending to be nicer than I actually am when I was dealing with them. I, like I wasn't expressing who I actually was and they're kind of rude to me anyway. And I think, hold on a minute, I'm not even that nice. You know, like, like so if I allow myself to authentically be me at least you know at least i can rely on that reality but again you know you've got to be able to find as you uh, describe it that sort of intersectional point where you're not dominated by a sort of static sense of this is who i am you've got to find the fluidity and the yeah as you say continuum of that the continuous verb of that hey i got i got a bit of a political question do how do you feel coming from where you're coming from it's something that i consider a lot because I, I don't know how it is in your country so much although i have lived there for a while once you're a famous person people think that's all you are and that's all you've ever known you know this is i guess why a lot of people will enjoy reading this book seeing where you're coming from the sheer amount of times you find yourself naked and in fist fights and brawling and stuff like Sometimes I feel that people don't reckon that people come from anywhere. Now, we live in a time, I feel, in my country and yours, where there's this sort of 
I have sensed a lot of condemnation and criticism of what I might describe as ordinary working people, a kind of offhandedness of like, oh, they're dumb, they're voting for Brexit, they're voting for Trump. I don't like it and I don't like to hear it um, because of my own experiences and my own upbringing, which I'll happily testify are not nearly so dramatic as your as yours there. But like in terms of where I sit in a class grid, it's, you know, like uh, I'm and I spend enough time with people that are being described in this manner to feel ill at ease with it. How do you feel about like that kind of uh, that kind of judgment? How do you feel what when you talk about this, uh, these values that you were describing earlier? Do you feel that there is a way of meshing together these apparently disparate groups now these liberal professional classes and these uh what you might describe as working ordinary people of any color of variety that, that's 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 my hope I, I i do think so because what the work i've got to do is defining the science behind why they're valuable the science behind why they work the science behind why that doesn't mean you have to now come over and it doesn't mean that you're coming over to the proverbial other side uh, I, 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 I say this, you know, I say, I'll meet you in the middle. I actually think that is more of a dare right now than it's ever been. Yeah. That spot again is not like, oh no, not going there. Somebody said to me that it's, oh yeah, I'd meet you in the middle. You know, you know, it's in the middle of the road, McConaughey, yellow lines and dead armadillos. <laughs> I said, let me tell you something, but I said, I'm, I'm walking down the yellow line right now. And the armadillos are running free, having a great time. I said, you know why? I said, the other two sides, the two, <laughs> the two vehicles on either side of the political aisle are so far apart, their fucking tires aren't even on the pavement anymore. <laughs> I mean, so trust me, it's, it's free over here. There's plenty of room, yeah. you know? And I almost feel like uh, it's a move to say, no, let's get aggressively centric. I, I, I dare you. It's not a recession. It's an aggressive move. And if it's framed like that, one, I think that all that that can relate to a lot of people on the, on the right of mm. going, "Well, you you dare me?" You know, it's like this COVID thing. It's like I had to go, "Whoa, this 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 enemy doesn't want hand to hand combat. Don't run out, <laughs> don't run out on your, don't run out on the street with your with your gun and knives to try and fight this one. That's what he wants. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's actually an aggressive move to actually stay home. You know what I mean? But it had to be reframed in mm. a little bit. Um, Look on the other side, on the on the the, the 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 far left that would go well. Who do? There is a lot on that illiberal left that absolutely condescend, patronize, and are arrogant towards that other fifty percent. Many people were in. You probably, I'm sure you saw it in our industry when Trump was voted in four years ago. They were in denial that it was actually that it was real. This and some of them went, were in absolute denial. I, and even even now, we're going to see how we if we can stabilize coming out of looks like Biden's our guy. Um, well, now you've got <laughs> now you've got the right that's in denial because they're saying it's fake news, and I understand they've been fed fake news. No one knows who the hell to believe, right? So they're putting down their last bastion of defense. Um, so you know that 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 left has to see. This is the, this is, this is, I want to stay on topic, but this is where I, the, the, the left misses it for me, just as far as being a marketeer of, of, of a political side. 
You and you say, hey, we want to get out the vote. We want people to go be able to go vote. We're going to do a campaign to let people vote. I'm like, 100%. Yes, everyone. Is there anyone who would say no to that? That's universal. You have 100% of the audience going, I'm in. That's a constitutional right as an American. I'm in. Yes. And then they can't help themselves. At the very end of it, they go, so... We don't let those criminal bastards get back in office. You're going, whoa. You're like, no, don't say the last part. You lost 50% of your audience. And that's, uh, you know, part of why so much of the nation of that 50% looks at us in Hollywood as like going, oh, yeah, another celebrity over there on the, on the West Coasters and the elite in the Northeast. And that's what y'all say. Because even from a, just a sales point of view, don't tab that gotcha on the end and then you have a twice your audience is twice as big and you're getting what you want even you're getting twice as much as what you you're getting double two two times as much as you would if you just didn't tab on that little stick it to them at the end um it's going to be have to the the left is going to have to understand the science of the 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 values and the and the meat in the middle the left will have to understand okay i understand i can add this up neurologically, scientifically, I see a, uh, you know, I see the supply, I understand the demand, I see the credit sheet, uh, I see the numbers, the numbers work out. It's scientific. Um, it, because it's got to be more than just feel good. I believe there is science to it. I need to still working on what is that measurement of those values? Is that measurement that say if I pilot city, my first pilot city is Austin, Texas, is that measurement, a friend of mine said this the other day, is a possible measurement that 10 years down the road, Austin is the uh, B Corp capital headquarters of the world. That's pretty, that'd be a pretty cool measurement. What's the crime rate? Um, what's the d- 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 divorce rate? What's the, uh, um, the rate of ha- how happy our employers are? Can we have a place where businesses also have the same values that Austin, Texas has businesses that have the highest rate of happiness, percentage of happiness for employers that work for somebody? So I'm working out those measurements um uh with, with the value campaign and if i can get those that's something measurable that i can hand you in the elevator pitch and go here's what i'm talking about yeah that's that's very cool and even within that this suggestion of alternative metrics is the idea that our entire way of measuring what is valuable has been biased to such a alarming degree that it's created this kind of chasm of mistrust. Everyone knows that if you can't participate economically in this system, you are not valuable. You will not be heard. I, I think that's fascinating because it sort of does seem in that the type of economic and social systems that we're currently living within are experiencing a sort of end game. And people are reluctant to hear alternatives and what that might look like so i think it's yeah that sounds real bold work matthew to look into the metrics what do we what do we especially in america tell you you're successful for what do we give you a praise on the back what gets you the front seat the best seat at the table uh to the front of the line fame and money fame and money boom you know there we go that's one and two you know so you know, there's a there's a, there was a, a like ten thousand young, thirteen year old girls were interviewed. There was a poll. This is about I think 10, 12 years ago. So what you know, what do you want to do? I want to be famous. 
How are you going to get famous? I think over 30% of the answers was I'm going to make a sex tape. Wow, fucking hell. Now, come on now. I think we can all agree on both sides. Hey, now, wait a minute. We got our values askewed about what, about what people will do to get there. Again, it's short money. It's today with social media. I, I raise myself up momentarily. I feel my ego momentarily if I put you down. Meaning not because I, we, 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 we're a nation, we're a world that cheers louder when our opponent misses a shot than we are happy when we make a shot. <laughs> that's, that's not the way forward. I think we can see that one is affirmative, one's contradictory. One is, 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 is checking in with self and going, yes, I have an innate ability. I worked at it. I was in the moment. I made the shot. Yes, I can look in the mirror and go, you're responsible for that, as well as a whole bunch of other people. But we don't forget that one. Let's just rubberneck. Let's just rubberneck through life and sit there and just go, yeah, look, they wrecked. Yeah, that's short money. That's not ROI. That's not a, that's a battery powered green light. That ain't a solar powered green light. That's in a little two volt battery. It's going to dim real quick and you're going to need another fix. Someone else to put down, someone else to down thumb, someone else to comment, someone else to snide. It's that, 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 that person, we've all done it. I've been this guy before. The person at the party who gets everyone together and tells you this great thing, little inside joke on, on Leslie over there, or Johnny over there that they wouldn't say in front of them because it's kind of dirt. And in the moment, we all laugh our ass off because it was a great joke. But then when we walk away, we inherently lose respect for that guy. It's short money. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You know, part of my own uh, relationship with God is to try to find within myself, my temporal self, my transient, passing, dying right now self, where I can access eternal principles, honor, integrity, decency, kindness, and one by one, try to eliminate things that don't make sense to me. You know, like I like, you know, like I don't feel good about myself when I criticize other people. I don't feel good about myself. And it's sort of somewhat, like you said, stealing from my future self when I practice those things. It's There are some simple principles, but I guess what I feel like is, you know, like when you're talking about those values of those young people there, you know, like it's, that's not happening in a void, obviously. And I understand that that's your point, that they are seeing success achieved in these in the uh, via objectification and disposable sex. And I think about my own life, the kind of messaging I received. If you ain't famous, if you ain't got money, you're nothing. And that's not from my family, you know, from my mother. That was from the culture I live yes, in. Yes, yes. You know, it's. So these things aren't happening in a way. How do people, where's the point, you know, where are the institutions, you know, education institutions are primarily preparing people for a life of, you better become a valuable commodity to this system, otherwise you are discarded. You know, where are people saying, you are valuable, you are beautiful, but you have duties and responsibilities. These, like, uh, these ideas are lost in the morass of this sort of, the pyramidal structures that have, I would say, reached tipping point. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, and can we, you know, I'm all, I got nothing against fame. I'm famous. It's been good to me. I got nothing against money. I got money in the bank. I'm for those things, but I, it's never been my, I can, I can say, although I seeked fame, like making money. 
I didn't do things. I didn't do things that jeopardized my soul and who I was to get them. Yeah. And even if we do, it's okay. We can get out of there and forgive ourselves. But some people are like, we're saying, what do you mean? I'll, I'll do whatever. <laughs> we jeopardize my soul. Fuck that. I'll do whatever it takes. Whoa. Well, hang on a minute. So can the values that make us these integrity and honor and, 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 and things can, what if those are up top and fame and money lower, come down the ladder a little bit, but those are actually what, those are what make, those are what make you money. Those are what get, those are what, that's the, that's the, the that's the demand that you can supply. It's about supply and demand. But so what yeah. are we demanding? What is society, what is economic? We're not going to get rid of an economic. I think we're not going to, we're going to be capitalists. We're, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to come out in the black on the spreadsheet. You're going to have to have something that you can supply that the world demands if you want to make a living at it. I always say this, if everybody did only what they love to do, I mean, unemployment would be sky high. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we can't always just do what we love to do, but we can learn to do something well and all of a sudden kind of like it because it feels good to do it well. We like to do it over and over again mm. and maybe learn to love it. Um, but yeah, I think we got to reorder what it, it, it right now it's fame and money at the top and by hook or by crook if you can get that the world gives you a pat out of boy and pat you on the back but even that if just maybe if it's just this being aware and realizing and maybe you got to be religious i don't know it's a good question do you have to be religious to realize that that's short money that that's a mortal that's a mortal achievement I think you've got to have purpose. I think you've got to have a, some sort of transcendent perspective because I think what materialism and rationalism evidently lead to is short-term ends. If it can't be measured, if it can't be seen, it doesn't have no value. It doesn't matter that you know some things are depleting the planet. It doesn't matter that we're out of line with our ethics because these ethics are arbitrary. They're not real. They've just come from nowhere. Whereas if the spiritual world is the most real thing to you, then of course there are certain fundamental realities about keeping this biological machine alive and the and the I, you know the one that we live on. But that's a uh, you know, is secondary to these principles. What we've got is a sort of an inverted uh, modality. What can we, is it, am I, you know, am I, you know, am I being foolish in thinking that if you bring that up to people that they realize and they go, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I am a spiritual being. I haven't thought of it that way. Or am I being foolish in thinking that there's a whole bunch of people that are going, F you dude, what are you talking about? I, I no, no, no. I think that there's been a sort of, I don't know whether deliberate or not, because I don't know how a campaign of this size would ever be coordinated, but I think there's been a sort of a general shaming of religious ideas, you know, associating it with violence, associating it with bigotry and prejudice, because I would imagine that if, if a significant number of people have no religious aspect to their life, then everything that they value is on the outside and they can be managed. They're a manageable unit now. There aren't people that go, no way, I won't do that for that. I've got a, there are higher things that I'm appealing to. You're right. We've got to we've got to continue to work to put the science to it, to yes. put it on the spreadsheet that it actually is real. R O I. Matthew McConaughey, I'm being told that you, mate, have got uh, more promo to do. I want to say to you, it's pretty clear that you have. Uh, I, I thought it anyway from observing you, and actually from a testimony from my dear friend Noel Gallagher, who, the uh, the rock star who you met know, you a few uh, times. Yeah, he just said he just loves you and thinks you're fantastic. And uh, I um 
I see that you have such a powerful appetite for life, such authenticity that your success, fame, money are a byproduct of this. And uh, I'm very grateful to you for giving me this time. Grateful to you for this fantastic book, Green Lights. Um, I recommend it to anybody. And it's been a real joy to share a little bit of time with you. Thank you. Great time, Russell. Like I said, man, I, I, I was going, yeah, I'm talking to Russell tomorrow morning. I was thinking about last night. I was like, man, I've talked to him before. I was like, no, you haven't. I was like, yes, you have. I was like, well, if you hadn't, why haven't you? But anyway, we have, but now we did it in person and it was beautiful as I thought and true as I thought it would be and, and wonderful to talk to you, man. And I look forward to, to ne next time and let's do it a whole bunch of times. I would love that. It's been great to have your company. Thanks, Matthew. Cheers, man. Yes, sir. Peace. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Under the Skin with Matthew McConaughey. I feel enriched by that conversation, elevated, charmed. There was some good bro flirting that went on, and uh, it's impacted me. Get out there and buy green lights. It's very good as an audio book, although the book itself, I didn't tell Matthew McConaughey this, because I don't know why I forgot, but like, it's a really good-looking book. Like, be a nice page that's just green, for example, or then just one word will be green, or there's some nice photos and nice little scraps out of his various scrapbooks and diaries. Very good book full of uh, scraps very full of real wisdom I would say so I hope you uh, you know buy it because he came on there to promote it so let's do the man a favour of heaven's sake anyway follow me on social media I'm at Rusty Rockets on Under the Skin oh no I'm at Rusty Rockets on Twitter use the hashtag Under the Skin I'm on Instagram TikTok LinkedIn all these things but my name is Russell Brand pretty much wherever you go certainly wherever I go and uh, if you want to join up to the mailing list do then why don't you it's at russellbrand.com and remember ask me anything thanks for listeners to this podcast who's on next week Jenny May Finn Sadguru Sadguru look she had to look over her no I said it first stupid hermit's <laughs> crab shoulder hey what do you mean by that what do you mean what do you mean <laughs> you don't like the stupid hermit crab shoulder I think you know we go places <laughs> hermit crabs <laughs> yeah. we upgrade of all of us with the we're referring to what's it called again the Zodiac what? Primal Zodiac. Primal Zodiac. Send animal. us your Primal Zodiac signs and we'll comment on it. Gareth, who's new around here, he's the lowly stinking hyena. It's the wretched <laughs> crow for Demaya, the pathetic hermit crab, and as you know, I am the panther. Over there in the background, pulling the strings, Charlie had the honour of being a cheater, and I think that's further maligned her even more than her geographical <laughs> separateness in a different room because it's actually a respectable predator, isn't it, the cheetah? Whereas what's the toucan? It's great big yeah, tissue box, bad. clacking beak in front of it, clacking the thing. Your beak's the size of your body. <laughs> I don't like this, Gareth. I don't like it. <laughs> don't like it, listeners. Hey, but you did show me a bit of footage, Jen, of a toucan. Toucan play that game. Like doing like something, like it was knocking over a box. No, it was trying to get into a box of donuts. And I saw... It's like, it's like something from another dimension. Like it's got this massive yellow beak, like a banana. It doesn't seem real, the no. toucan. So maybe I've seen one where it's holding a knife. That Why are you looking up toucans so much? What do you do with your spare time? <laughs> Buy white jeans on the internet and look at toucans with weapons. That's not going to be on Pornhub. Toucans with weapons. Toucan play that game. I should hope you're not. <laughs> Like, looking up I've not looked at porn for uh, probably a year. So who's the real winner? I am. Me. No. Hermit crab. <laughs> All right, then. Well, this is what you've paid for it now. So that's the podcast. Thank you very much. Under the skin from Luminary. Sad guru next week. A rock and roll guru and teacher. You're going to love it, I'm sure. <laughs>